Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I was breastfed by my father. And I am Brad Shane Britton. Welcome to episode 247, WrestleMania 13. Heat! That's really the tagline? It's getting getting warm in here, guys. So it was WrestleMania 26, uh, Heat 2. Ha, <laughs> part de. Oh my goodness! Seriously, heat. Yeah. That's what they said. You got the dead Did, man does, in the main event, and it's heat, huh? Was that them debuting the, the claims of hell? The sun Sunday night heat. Like oh, oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> Sunday night heat, the home of the Godfather. So this is the thirteenth annual WrestleMania produced by the WWF. It would take place on March 23rd, 1997, from the Rosemont Horizon in Rosemont, Illinois, with an attendance of 18,197. That's a nice little jump from uh, our last WCW show of 9,000-something. Oh, yeah, I mean, this is Mania in Chicago. It's Mania, that's right. Chicago's a wrestling town. It's no 65,000 in San Antonio, but... Nobody paid for those tickets anyway. No, they did not. <laughs> so, you know, you have to imagine that uh, at least 17,000 of these tickets were paid for. I'd say about that, yeah. <laughs> Is this the same building that All In was in? I believe so. Yeah, I in Rosemont Horizon, it's, in, it's outside of Chicago, but it's a big Chicago building. Yeah, because what, it's like 25 miles, 25 minutes, something like that? Yeah, it's just outside. At the Sears Center Arena in Hoffman Estates, so no, it's not okay. I mean, who's who knows if this place is still there? But it was a big, mm-hmm. it was a big. I've yet to be wrestling to an AEW show, so yeah. I mean, we might go to one soon. Who knows? But we are in Illinois. Yeah, we are. So Shane, did you do what you do? Oh, here we are in so, Illinois, just outside of Chicago. And, you know, I typically try and do my what's the most popular this in the state or the city. And, I mean, Rosemont is is a city, but Chicago is definitely a well-known or a more well-known city. So I figured, let's just go Chicago. I happened to uh, drive past a, a certain restaurant here in Oklahoma City on an almost daily basis that specializes in, in Chicago cuisine. It's a little place known as Cal's Chicago Eatery. They've got, I won't say a wide variety, but they specialize in the Italian beef sandwich. They also have an Italian beef and sausage sandwich. Uh, You can get it dipped or sauce on the side. They've got uh, Chicago dogs. They've got chili dogs, burgers, gyros. Damn, I just saw they have Chi-Town Wings. I guess we'll have to try that another time just to see uh, what hmm, Chicago what a, wings are all about. Yeah, I don't know what a shy town wing is. Breaded? Not breaded? That's what I'm looking. Who knows? I'm going to guess that's a side. 
They've got a pizza puff that I guess is like a pizza pocket that they make, but with a tortilla. Huh. Interesting. A pickle fried chicken sandwich, breaded chicken breast on a toasted bun topped with pickle fries, which are just fried pickles, I guess. Yeah, I'd assume as much. Hmm. Maybe they cut them, cut like spears lengthwise. Chi-Town wings, crispy wings tossed in our homemade buffalo ranch and mild sauce. This is the perfect amount of spiciness that, with a kick that keeps you coming back for more. But I went for the, uh, uh, the Italian beef. I got two of them because I like things on the spicier side. I know sometimes Matt isn't the biggest on the, the spice, so I got one with the sweet bell peppers. It's pretty simple, just meat, peppers. The spicy one has, you know, carrots and whatnot in there and the jardinera peppers. Yeah, that's the word I was like, what are those things called? I also got the Chicago dog because I figure if it's a Chicago place, they got to be able to do a, a true Chicago dog and... I don't know if I've ever had one from an actual restaurant before. I've seen the stuff to make them at, like, on cue and Quick Trip because when you walk by and you see that glowing oh, wow. green relish from the little yeah. relish tray thing there, I the first time I saw it, I thought it was just relish that had gone bad and then actually looked <laughs> at it. I was like, oh, yeah, this is the stuff that I see on those hot dogs that make it glow in the dark. I've already eaten the my part of the hot dog. It was, it was pretty tasty. I'm going to guess it's only better when it's not delivered because then it's like hot and the bun hasn't got as much of the juice sogged into it yet but then I also got the Italian beef, Italian beef and had it dipped so the bread is actually nice and semi-sogged on the outside but it's still holding up because it's not fully soaked all the way through I'll say that Italian beef is maybe not the best Italian beef I've had but the most uh, plentiful as like the thing is piled with meat like do you remember the one that I made? How yes, does it compare? Do. Uh, yours. Because I'd never had it, never made it. Well, so. yours was fresher, and it was a more moist and flavorful sandwich. Okay. But this one had to travel, so I don't want to beat them over the head. Oh, anything. yeah. Maybe juice on the side would be better. And see, I, that was an option on there, but I thought, well, if it's juice on the side, then we're not going to get that full dipped experience, nah. so maybe it'd be better this way. But now we know for next time. I also ordered, they had a dessert on there, and I figured it's mania, so you got to have I mean, a variety of have stuff. Have you tried the dessert yet, Jane? Not yet. I'm it saving is. that. As much That's... as you guys were talking about that, I'm, I'm saving that for a, possibly even a special match yeah. later on in the show where the visuals will play mm, along no. with it. <laughs> it's, the, it's the star of the, this, uh, this trio's match. But yeah, it's this, a... This triple threat. Triple berry tart. It's a rustic triple berry tart made from scratch with blackberries, blueberries, raspberries, and fresh apple slices, all cradled in a flaky homemade crust. And then it comes with a little bit of uh, whipped cream as well. But I'm going to save that for now. I might tap my spoon on the flaky crust here in a second, but I'm going to take a bite of the sandwich because I just keep holding it and holding it and holding it. And here we go. Drop the pepper. My take. It's got a good flavor. Yeah, it's great flavor. Very peppery, but mm -hmm. not like like black peppery. The mm -hmm. meat's got a nice uh, yes, black it was pepper. Very, that was my takeaway. Was well, it was very black peppery, yeah. and it gave it a good a good heat, even with me having the sweet peppers yeah, instead yeah. of the the Ghirardelli peppers. But my take on the Chicago dog guys. Mm -hmm. It looked like a, a well-made Chicago dog. Looks incredible. It just... It's kind of a mess, and it's not... It's like a, It's just not a thing that you're ever like... 
you know what I want? A Chicago dog. Yeah. Like, like if not... I'm walking through Chicago and there's a hot dog cart, yeah. then absolutely I'm going to try one just because when in Rome. By no Chicago. means is it like bad, but it's kind of nothing to write home about. Yeah. I would never make one on my own. No. Mm-hmm. And on the and if, if I went got a hot dog in Chicago, if there was another interesting hot dog on the menu, <laughs> I would try it first. Because I've had an... I mean, you guys. I've have had seen... a handful of Chicago dogs, and they're. It's pretty simple. I feel like nobody's like messing it up. You know what I mean? It's like the relish and the sport pepper, and like it's like oh, it's all there. So like, yeah. And it's, see, it's not like there's some. It's not like you made the wrong. Your Skyline Chili recipe was dog shit or something. It's like all this stuff is just things you can buy, and then you put it together. So like, who's making a bad one? It's like it just is what it is. Yeah. You. The hot dog is the least important flavor of the hot dog because it's covered by a relish, a pickle, uh-huh. a pepper, lots of mustard, tomatoes, celery seed, yeah, all kinds of stuff. And I'd yeah. say the celery Visually, seed. I like the look of yeah. it, but the celery seed is the star of it. Yeah, which is mm-hmm. that kind was the of thing that I smelled weird. the most when I opened up the package on yeah. it was whoa, there's some celery in here. I'm pro celery seed. <laughs> celery but, seed, you know. celery root, plain celery. Yeah. I'm good with it all. Absolutely. I like Phoebe listing the types of celery, but there's really only one type of celery that I know of, and that's just celery. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just cows, put some peanut butter on it, some yeah, some, some, some raisins, raisins. Get your ants on, ants on a log. Ants on a log. My yeah. buddy came up with the cocktail years ago. It's uh, whiz. apple juice and bourbon garnished with ants on a log. It's called the Angry Kindergartner. <laughs> or you can like put that. cranberries and expiry ants on. Oh, there you go. There you go. Mm-hmm. That's the holiday, the holiday edition it's of it. Holiday version. Yeah. Uh, you use uh, what if you, you use, use cranberry like juice and um, apple and, juice and, and peanut butter and cinnamon whiskey with that ants on a log. Oh, peanut butter and jelly. Hmm. Hmm. Might have to try that. Well, something that happened right around the same time as WrestleMania 13. Actually, the very next day, the DVD format would be announced. During the Academy Awards. Oh, weird. And the first film to be released... Drumroll, please. ...would be Twister. It's a good flick. I mean, I'm shot in Oklahoma. Rest in peace, Bill Paxton. Mm -hmm. A movie that I saw. It came out... I moved here at the end of 97, like Christmas of 97. I saw this movie before I ever... Knew I was moving here. Me and my friends watched it and just were... Because it was like we were the right age in like between like fourth and fifth grade or whatever. That This movie was appropriate enough and still exciting enough for a child. We wa- Storm yeah, safety. It should, be, it should mm-hmm. be good for we also children like of all ages. We also had no knowledge of like tornadoes or whatever. Just like, oh, a cow fine. Or, oh, that's right. You're, you're, you're a Cali us. kid, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That makes sense now. I'm like, how did you not know about tornadoes? Yeah, I mean, yeah, they didn't, they didn't have them there. It's like I knew what, what I knew what they were, but they were such a foreign thing to me that, like, yeah, you know, they only happen in movies, like The Wizard of Oz. Yeah, you know, and uh, Twister, which guys, they recently I think just finished shooting Twisters, right here, the sequel in Oklahoma yeah. again. I got a friend who works on like uh, film uh, and lives here, and he did not get on Twister, but he has a lot of friends that did work it. And uh, I got very close, I won't spoil it, to guessing the ending 
of Ooh. like of like what the what the culmination and he was like i was like he was like that's really close and i was like you can spoil it for me i don't care and i was like what i said was like the was the dumber the dumber version like i made basically a joke and he was like that's really close and what he said totally makes sense but it was funny and i was like damn if i made a second guess or a third guess i would have got it <laughs> but the first one i made was a joke guess sounds fun though i mean hmm. uh, i believe helen hunt is back i think the and there's ki- they're the kids of the yeah story. i figured that's how they were gonna go about it but yeah i was hoping helen hunt was gonna be back because i mean paxton can't obviously so hoffman can't hoffman can't i wonder uh, if hoffman's kid is in it that'd be interesting he was in I'm the only movie I think I he was in that I've seen is Slickerish Pizza. Oh, I didn't realize that his kid was in that movie. He's like the star. Oh. See I still haven't watched it yet, but it's good. Yeah, I, I didn't like realize it. that was his kid. Yeah, I'm a I'm a PTA oh. guy for the most part and that was a fun one. Here's a question for you. Hmm. Either I'll give you your choice. Either you do you remember your first DVD that you ever bought? Mm-hmm. Or your favorite DVD that like maybe was unique of some sort? Okay. I mean, early ones in the collection for the family. Gladiator. Huge. Everybody had it. I believe. Except for those of us that don't like the movie. Oh, you don't like the Gladiator? Or Gladiator. But don't worry. There's a sequel coming for that, too. I haven't seen it in forever. But, uh, I mean, I, that was a huge movie for me as a kid i think the first one i bought with like my own money was either friday or mall rats see i think mall rats was my first one yeah my first i bought two together because i was working at blockbuster at the time and decided to special order them through blockbuster which was stupid because i paid way too much yeah my employee discount but you know it was it was a special order so why the hell not but mine were L.A. Confidential and As Good As It Gets. Oh, incredible choices. L.A. Confidential was one of my first ones. So. Yep. Yeah. I, mean, I, went, I went the hard way with DVDs because I was working at Blockbuster and I was also working at a furniture rental place. So I ordered my DVD player through the furniture rental place <laughs> at cost. But this was back when they cost like $500. Yeah. So yeah. my first DVD player was $500. And then like a year later, they had them at Walmart for like 30 bucks at Christmas. Like, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. I think other big ones in my house were Apocalypse Now. Me and my dad would watch Apocalypse Now, like, every weekend, almost. See, some of the special ones that I have, I have the extended editions of The Lord of the Rings, the three Lord of the Rings. Oh, movies. yeah, yeah. That was, like, definitely a little later. That was, like, high school, yeah. like, prime, probably, DVD. Era. And then I also got the whole production diaries of King Kong. Nice. Oh, nice. Because just, like, I was, whenever DVDs first started coming out, me, me they put so many, like, special features mm-hmm. that, like, I just gobbled up anything that had, like, like yeah tons of special features on it. I always it. watched yeah. them. I'm trying to think if I had any, like, weird, neat ones. I mean, I still collect, like, physical media as far as film goes, uh, and... Yeah. I'm a physical media guy completely. Yeah. I've started going back and buying all of my uh, favorite shows, like TV shows, series, just because I got tired of trying to figure out which streaming services is, you know, this show I want to watch is on because it was on this one for you yep. know, the first 10 years of the app and then all of a sudden they decide to shake everything up and get rid of the shows that people watch to bring in 
you know, stuff that they hope people are going to enjoy. And yeah, having to ask people for their sign-ins and then they're getting to where they're cracking down on the sign-ins. And I'm like, fuck it, I'll just order yeah. the actual series and get all this behind-the-scenes stuff and deleted scenes and special yeah. features and whatnot again in my life. It was later, obviously not 97, but almost a full decade later, probably like 2004 or five, that uh, I remember getting the complete Aeon Flux, which I was very <laughs> excited about coming out. Yeah. And um, the first season of uh, Pete and Pete which I just thought it's like oh you know that was like a big special thing because it's like oh I you know they don't play reruns of this I would like get lucky sometimes there was like a weird channel called like Noggin which was like a direct TV like, Nickelodeon mm-hmm. channel and sometimes they would play Pete and Pete and that's like the only way I'd been able to watch it since I was like a kid so when they released the DVDs I was uh, very excited and uh, that was like a big deal for me personally at least <laughs> trying to think of if i had i mean i didn't really have any special edition yeah dvds stuff. i was just the i bought every every season of friends as it came out because that was my show oh yeah any additional you know best of whatever collaboration dvds that they had i'd get those as well and yeah i didn't have cable for the longest time so I'd constantly just have friends playing. So when the <laughs> Friends reunion came on and people were talking about how, you know, when they had nothing, all they had was friends, it resonated with me. And it's like, that's how it was. I moved to Oklahoma City and I didn't have cable. And that's all I did was I popped, you know, the first Pop thing DVD. I made sure was my DVD player was hooked up to the TV and Friends was just on because I needed that sense of home and familiarity in a, a new place. They were yeah. there for me, even when the rain started to fall. Yeah, I mean... The idea of just being like, oh, I really love this thing, and when I want to rewatch it, which you're not going to rewatch the same movie over and over again, we're not 12 anymore, but to be able to like just put it in as opposed to be like, where is it streaming? Do I need to rent it? It's obnoxious. Like, oh, for some reason you can't watch The Abyss anywhere, (laughs) which will probably be rectified soon, (laughs) but it was for a long time. Hopefully very soon. Yeah, yeah. I'm pro pro 4K, pro Blu-ray. Pro DVD. And see, rolling it back to Twister. Twister, when I was working at the furniture rental place, that's the one that I bought because I told them I'm taking over the the sound or audio video area that we had. And we had all of our big screen TVs over there, all of our sound systems. And I knew that movie would be the perfect one to have playing constantly in that area to attract people because of the... 5.1 you know, surround yeah. sound or you know, whatever. Dolby. Yep, exactly. I mean... T, what was it? THX or yeah, THX, yeah. Dolby, DTS is a thing now. One more thing mm. before we move forward. Happy New Year, everyone! Hey. There you go. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I don't know how to make that sound. You know, Hope your little... 2024 is better than 2023. Yeah, yeah, even if your 2023 was fucking awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Here's to even more in 2024, baby. That's right. Let's. Let's talk some WrestleMania. Let's do it. Let's get let's get the heat on, man. So we get black and white video of WrestleMania highlights. Tradition. With, with narration. It's traditionally the grandest night in the World Wrestling Federation. WrestleMania, the great spectacle. The granddaddy of sports entertainment. A magical night where dreams become reality. Where legends stand immortal. Where incredible feats of athleticism 
are indubitably etched in the annals of time. And at this point, the highlights become current superstars in the lead-up to WrestleMania. From black and white to color. But this year, a tempest engulfs Utopia. This year, clouds of hatred and anger have eclipsed the heavens and shed darkness upon the gods. We've watched as our heroes step down from their pedestals, witnessed malicious attacks by a depraved nation, beheld the dark, disturbing flashes from a once benevolent force. Tonight, three determined men united to wage war against an evil nation. Their battleground, the cold, unforgiving streets of Chicago. Tonight, two giants appear willing to shed their noble armor, to embrace their dark side, to possess the coveted gold. And tonight, two angry young men destined to destroy each other, will endure intolerable pain in a brutal submission match. It's WrestleMania, the showcase of the immortals, the greatest night in sports entertainment. It's supposed to be a time of celebration, a time to rejoice. But tonight, none of these men are smiling. I was like, everyone's losing their smile in this place. <laughs> Come on, guys. God, I love that stupid song. (laughs) Another thing that I've noticed in this uh, wonderful, verbose introduction is that the heavyweight title match was not the last one they spoke about. Mm -mm. If only it was the main event. (laughs) We get the WrestleMania 13 logo coming on the screen, followed by Vince McMahon welcoming us to the show. Joined by Jim Ross and Jerry, the King Lawler. He also introduces the Spanish and French announcers who are at ringside as well. Before we go to our first match, the Godwins of Henry O and Phineas I. Godwin with Hillbilly Jack. Versus the Headbangers of Mosh and Thrasher. Versus Phil LaFawn and Doug Furness. Versus the new Blackjacks of Blackjack Bradshaw and Blackjack Wyndham in a four-way elimination match to determine the number one contenders for the WWF Tag Team Championship. That's a lot of... A lot of Blackjacks. It's a lot of okay. <laughs> I mean, we love LaFawn and Furness, but... You yeah, know, we mean, know I'm, that they don't become etched in the annals of uh, WrestleMania history. I mean, they don't, but they're kicking off WrestleMania. Which yeah, I never would have imagined for them. No, I want that for them. Having them pop up on that first episode of ECW, mm-hmm. never would I thought within the next year they would be the opening match of Mania. I, I could have hoped that for them because yeah, of how absolutely. they caught my attention. But yeah. I just have to say. As much as I don't really care for Vince McMahon, I do miss his welcome to WrestleMania. Screams. I mean, he's a he's a I don't know if great announcer. He's a great announcer for he's a showman. He's a showman. Such a better way to put it. He's good at putting the thing over. Mhm. Yep. He yeah. There's just that it's like that heart hug of Welcome to WrestleMania. Yeah, it's great. I mean, you know, I don't think, no matter how you feel about the guy, I don't think anybody's uh, 
you know, mad at him for that. <laughs> so we haven't seen the Godwins since Rumble 97, episode 236. Bradshaw since In Your House 10, episode 221. And Wyndham since Survivor Series 96, episode 227. Oh, Bradshaw, Blackjack, yeah. or not Bradshaw, Blackjack, Wyndham, Stalker, the hell was his other names? Widowmaker. Yeah. Yep. It's kind of interesting. It's like, oh, just like everyone's dairy. kind of been on a bit of a pay-per-view break with the exception. It's like, oh, Mosh and Thrasher are new here, and LaFon and Furnace have been on shows regularly, but not, they haven't had any huge push or anything. No. So there's slightly new rules for this elimination match. A tag can be made to any man, but when someone's defeated, the entire team is eliminated. And during the Blackjacks entrance, we are actually shown footage of the original Blackjacks, which like completely shocked me. Yeah, I know. I loved that. I got very excited about it. It's like, yeah, they're talking about the 1975 Blackjack Cup. Something I've never heard of, but sounds nice. Todd Pettengill then interviews the newer version, asking them their strategy, with Bradshaw yelling out, Big guys line up, little guys bunch up. Come get you some, because the Blackjacks, ha <laughs> ha, ride again. It's just so funny to see, like, Blackjacks on... WWF, it's like, oh, there's been so many blackjacks through the year, but like, I don't think of them in working in the WWF. Same, but then I look at old Bradshaw and think, all right, this is more of the Bradshaw that I remember. <laughs> Barry, for some reason, I think it's because of the black hair. That's the part that's throwing me off with him. Yeah. Bradshaw, I'm used to seeing him with dark hair, even though when he debuted, he had long blonde hair, which was weird. way, way too weird for me. Yeah, Wyndham, I don't I don't understand why they just won't let him be Barry. I know they've got Barry Horowitz, but just, just have a, a battle of the berries and let him win. Oh, I mean, Horowitz, they, they fumbled that ball. But he was over there for fucking half a, half a second, and it was nice to see. So everyone starts brawling away to start, finally settling down to Hog and Black Jack Bradshaw trading clotheslines. Before bringing in Thrasher to take a big boot and a pump handle slam from Bradshaw. Pig is tagged in to back body drop Thrasher before tagging in Mosh to force them to face each other. But they just dance about before tagging in the Fawn and hitting a double team flapjack. Phil changes the momentum with a snap suplex and an insiguri of Mosh, sending him into the blackjacks. So Wyndham tags in, only to immediately receive a thrust kick and a northern light suplex for a two count. Now Furnace comes in with a hurricanrana for a near fall on Blackjack Wyndham. Tries for another, but Wyndham catches him and dumps him with a power slam, followed by a leg drop. And the Blackjacks hit a double shoulder block on Doug. Bradshaw continues with a lariat attempt, only for Furnace to duck and deliver a drop kick that sends Blackjack Bradshaw out to the floor. And Doug tries to bring Bradshaw in the hard way, with Blackjack Wyndham shoulder blocks him from the apron to allow Blackjack Bradshaw <laughs> to suplex Furnace out to the floor. LaFon comes over and the two teams are brawling at ringside, with the ref trying to restore order, 
when Bradshaw would shove the ref down to the floor, causing him to disqualify the Blackjacks and eliminate them. We got a bad boy. Yeah, I had to rewind that part there because it was like one of those, I blinked and didn't see what happened. I was like, how the hell did they get it eliminated? Did somebody, I thought one of them themselves went over the top rope. Yeah, they got seven and a half minutes, Shane. Yeah. So they got to move quick. So the two teams continue to brawl, also causing the ref to count out Furnace and the Fawn to eliminate them. So we see Henry and Thrasher jump in the ring to fight, with Hogg slamming the headbanger down multiple times, followed by slamming Phineas on top of him as well for a two count. Pig continues with a vertical suplex before Henry returns to trade botched corner spots with Thrasher, followed by Phineas coming back for headbutts, only for Thrasher to spit in his face, so Pig returns the favor and delivers a clothesline in the corner. Hog delivers a splash in the middle of the ring, but after a rake of the eyes, Mosh is able to tag in, only to telegraph a back body drop, allowing Henry to kick him away, followed by a clothesline to take them both out to the floor. And Mosh hot shots Hog as they head back into the ring to knock Henry back down, before nailing a springboard clothesline and then press slamming Thrasher out onto Hog as well. Now back in the ring, the headbangers with a double clothesline before Thrasher heads up top for a moonsault. But Hog moves in time and makes the crawl to the corner for the Hog Tag. I can't give it my full endorsement. I just said Hog Tag. Hog Tag. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Phineas cleans house with body slams, back elbows, and clotheslines before attempting a slop drop on Mosh. But Thrasher is able to run in with a shoulder block to prevent it. And everyone just starts brawling away when Mosh would head up top, leaping off with a stage dive for the pin. And, and no win. win. So yeah. Headbangers got their first Mania win. I mean, can't say I was a fan of this one, but no. it was mostly painless. The biggest pain here is that the two like gimmick comedy teams i mean headbangers are like comedy badasses they're not actual badasses yeah whereas like the blackjacks badasses lafon furnace badasses in our eyes yeah i mean just like that's what how they what they present as is like big strong boys that are ass kickers and then it's like okay well the guys with fishnets beat the hillbillies yeah but cool mustachioed Whatever the hell they are, cowboys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're. I view them as a comedy act too. Yeah, yeah, but too like, many, we, too but many like, acts. but Bradshaw and like, you know, Wyndham are. If if yeah, no, if they weren't, if they were on, JCP or AWA with, cow coming out with cowboy hats on, they take the cowboy hats off, and then they're just hats kickers. Yeah, but they still have those. Dumbass mustache. I mean, that's the problem. Like Dutch Mantel <laughs> I mean, has had those mustaches for it's all black, those years. It's Black Bart and Rob Bass all over <laughs> again, guys. You got it. I just wish any other team won, but I say that. But the hill, the pagan, yeah, pagan, pagan hog. hog got to put them out to pasture, brother. Just, just give them their old WCW gimmicks mm-hmm. back. Just pull pork to be made. Throw, throw a mask on them. They'll be fine. <laughs> But you know, I, I enjoyed them more when they were Slazinger and the other guy. 
We then go to a commercial for In Your House, where narration says it's about sportsmanship, athletic camaraderie, and respect, while sound bites in between say otherwise, with Undertaker, Brett, Stone Cold, and Sid all doing trash talking. It's live April 20th, only on pay-per-view. And I, I want to say that I thought WWF was actually smart here, and they didn't say the subtitle of the show. Because it would be a spoiler ah, for WrestleMania. That's good to know. Ah, smart. And see, they even, even with the show on 420, they were smart <laughs> to not give away the secrets. It's like, man, wouldn't, if he saw weed, he'd probably think it was heroin. <laughs> like, what is this? Get these drugs out of here. So back in the arena, Honky Tonk Man is in the ring dancing while they show us Captain Lou Albano and Arnold Scotland looking on from the crowd. And Lawler then invites Honky to join the commentary table, where he sings along with his own theme music, before saying he's out to scout a new protege. I say it sarcastically, but they're just using the hell out of Honky recently mm-hmm. in these like just little small, little small things. I mean, he's got long side burns and his hair slicked back. <laughs> he's coming to your town in a pink Cadillac. He's just a honky tonk man. He is a honky tonk man. Just a honky tonk man. Cool. He's cocky. He's bad. <laughs> so we go to our second match. The Sultan with Bob Backlund and the Iron Sheik versus Rocky Maivia for the WWF Intercontinental Championship. Some pro- some pyro for the Sultan. He's got to make it big. It's mania. you got to make it big. So this was supposed to be Mark Marrow versus Rocky. Oh, so he got Marrow's pyro. But since he got hurt, a new challenger was needed. So Backlund and the Sheik challenged on behalf of the Sultan, leaving Maivia outnumbered when he would spot his father's old tag partner, Tony Atlas, in the crowd, asking him to help even the odds. The foot freak himself. Saba Simba. The last time we saw Bob in a match was Royal Rumble 96, episode 183. But he has been campaigning in the crowd since then. But I wasn't going to go and search that out. No. While Iron Sheik hasn't competed since Royal Rumble 92, episode 66. Damn. That's right after I joined the party. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think that was the episode. Was it? You joined. Yeah. Wow. So we have a few signs in the crowd that I want to point out. Someone was a Isaac Yankum fan. Oh, uh, he had one. And one that would inspire a change very soon... In Die, Rocky, Die. Ooh. <laughs> I didn't catch the Die, Rocky. Well, I didn't catch either of the signs. Was the Isaac Yankum poster salacious? Was it a Yank Me poster? I didn't Dr. see it. Dr. Isaac Yank Me. Maybe something like that. Yank Me Isaac? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tony Atlas is also shown in the crowd as our competitors stare each other down. Before trading strikes until Maivia nails a clothesline and a pair of drop kicks to send the Sultan down to the floor. Rocky gets dragged out where the two continue to trade strikes when the Sultan ducks a clothesline, sending Maivia into the ring post. Posted. You poor, poor arm. Back in the ring, Sultan hits multiple clotheslines before locking on a nerve hole. The nerve. The nerve of this guy. Followed by a backbreaker and a diving headbutt for a two count. Sultan telegraphs a back body drop, so Rocky goes for a sunset flip 
but the Sultan stays up and choke lifts Mayavia back to his feet, followed by a belly-to-belly suplex for a near fall. I did appreciate that spot where I was like, is he going to sit down? And it's like, no. Grab him by the throat and pulling him to his feet. So, you know, probably a spot we've seen, but it's not the typical one. Hmm. The Sultan starts wearing down Rocky with a headlock, but Mayavia escapes and the two men clothesline each other for a double KO. But they make it back to their feet with the Sultan landing strikes, only for Rocky to fire up with right hands, a drop kick, and a belly-to-belly suplex for a two-count. I know, it was like, is he powering up, is he firing up, or is he bottoming up? <laughs> but I guess, you know... Maybe have... he's power-bottoming up. <laughs> 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 Sultan rakes the eyes and whips Mayavia to the ropes tries for a clothesline only for Rock to duck and float over for a DDT followed by heading up top for a crossbody making the cover for the pin and no Sheiky babies distracting the ref I mean you can't have Iron Sheik down there without at least distracting the ref once Rocky goes to argue with the Iron Sheik Allowing the Sultan to recover and nail a super kick when Mayavia turns for a near fall. Sultan then delivers a pile driver for a two count. Damn. Goes for a body slam, but Rocky floats over into an inside cradle for the pin. And, and the, the win. Post match, Jim Ross goes to interview Mayavia, only for the Sultan to attack from behind, smashing the Intercontinental title over his head and knocking JR down in the process the Sultan then rolls Rocky back into the ring to hit a flying splash Sheik then locks in a camel clutch with the Sultan just slapping him and it's great visual when Rocky Johnson slides into the ring by the way he's a WWE Hall of Famer yeah and father of one Rocky Maivy and Johnson goes after the Sultan Standing over his son to protect him, allowing the Sultan to grab the Iron Sheik's flag and use it as a weapon across his back, before ripping the elder Rocky's shirt. Mayavia wakes and comes to his father's aid, tossing the Sultan out of the ring before grabbing the Sheik. And both Rockies then body slam and punch Sheiky Baby before celebrating and hugging. Aww. I just gotta say, what the fuck, Tony Atlas? I know. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> yeah. Like, they talked the entire match about how Rocky's parents are watching from Florida and all that other stuff, and then he starts getting attacked, and I'm expecting Tony Atlas to jump up out of the crowd and you know, at least help out, because that's kind of what I thought he was there for. Yeah. And then even after Rocky came down, Rocky Johnson, I should say, I was still expecting Tony to jump in the ring after he got attacked. No, nope. Also, my I, my assumption was that Rocky Johnson was at like the Hall of Fame or something the night before, right? Was that the first? Was that when he was introduced? No, inducted? he wasn't inducted until okay. way later. Okay, yeah. Rock, I, that was just my kind of assumption. It's like, oh, was, why is he? Why else is he here? Rocky was the Rock when I should say Dwayne was the Rock when Rocky got inducted. into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I gotcha, I gotcha. Yeah, well, he hadn't. Yeah, it hasn't. Hasn't quite happened yet, but that, that was my assumption. I was like, oh, he's already in town. Of course, this is why they would do Yeah, but that was the whole thing. Is That's not They it. kept saying, well, he's basically, making his parents proud. They're watching him from home in Florida. Basically, what it was is that they weren't sure if they were going to get Rocky Johnson uh, for this spot. 
so they introduced Tony earlier, like a few weeks before, so that, that if if they couldn't get Rocky, Tony would do it. Tony would be the yeah, one to so run in. Like Tony, we got a ticket for you for Mania, but you're not getting paid. Just wave. <laughs> we then go to the back where Todd Pettengill is with Ken Shamrock. And Ken is a UFC and Impact Hall of Famer and will be the special guest referee in the submission match later on this evening. Impact has a Hall of Fame? It does. Mm -hmm. Cool. Todd shows Shamrock some clips from Raw where Billy Gunn had challenged him. So Ken put him in various submissions, making him squeal. I do love that like they show... Shamrock and he talks about like the moves that he does and is relating it to cage fighting, ultimate fighting, whatever you want to call it at this point, mixed martial arts before it's ever really a thing. But, you know, he's treating it differently than wrestling. Pettengill then reminds Shamrock that Brett and Stone Cold have threatened to come after him. But Ken says he's not intimidated and that I'm here to be a referee. We then go to Doc Hendricks, who's with Hunter Hearst Helmsley, and China. Hey, she's got a name. China is, of course, the muscular woman that has been shown recently attacking Marlena and helping out Triple H. But she's also a WWE Hall of Famer. And Doc wants to know what the relationship is, with Hunter telling him that it's none of his business. So Hendricks asks if Triple H can take gold dust straight up. With the response being, he can take him any way he wants. <laughs> Hunter continues that the real loser will be Marlena. Because she had her chance and turned it down. Followed by her talent better be running with China around. Ooh, I watched some of uh, Dark Side of the Ring here recently. Mm-hmm. The, the newest season. And old Marlena does not look so good these days. Time comes for us all. Oh, brother. yeah. Especially when you've paid to reverse it. It, it <laughs> yeah. catches up and then some. It's not always as helpful as you'd like. <laughs> yep, she's got that, like, seven-year-old smoker lady talk. I don't know if she has that accent necessarily, but yeah, she yeah. had that deep voice and was like, is that Terry? And then they actually showed her name and like, holy shit. She used to be so hot. (laughs) Nope. Mm. So we go to our third match. Hunter Hurst Helmsley with China versus Goldust with Marlena. And the Golden One takes control early on with clotheslines, punches, and kicks before spitting at China and kissing Triple H. I mean, what a a spot. Mm -hmm. Like the spit, China, like just fucking takes it and then the follow it up with the kiss right after it's uh it's the most that's gold dust <laughs> it's uh he might be the face here but he's still he's still gold dust gold dust continues with an atomic drop and a clothesline to send hunter to the floor followed by tying him up in the ropes to deliver more strikes the Golden One smashes Triple H's head into a ring post Posted. before clotheslining him back into the ring. But he telegraphs a back body drop, allowing Hunter to hit a knee lift, only for Goldust to come right back with a power slam. A huge one. The Golden One heads up top, but Triple H beats him there, trying for a superplex, only to be blocked, so Hunter dumps Goldust face first down to the apron. 
Now back in the ring, Triple H comes off the top with a single sledge for a two count before unzipping his bodysuit and chopping away on the bare chest, followed by a neck breaker and an ab stretch, all while taunting Marlena. I mean, the um, I don't know if it was louder than a solid chest uh, chop to the chest, but it sounded louder just because he took the time and added the humiliation of like pulling half of his bodysuit down. Hunter stays on the attack with a jumping knee and multiple pin attempts for two. Tries for a pump splash, but the Golden One gets his knees up, only for Triple H to come right back with a vertical suplex and a knee drop for a near fall. And the two men are trading strikes until Goldust telegraphs another back body drop, allowing Hunter to nail a DDT. Goes for a hip toss, but the Golden One counters into a backslide for a two count, before also cradling Triple H up for a near fall. And Hunter responds with a clothesline, only for Goldust to fire back with a body slam. But his back gives out, landing Triple H on top for a two count. The Golden One then goes for a crossbody, followed by the two running the ropes, where they end up colliding for a double KO. And Hunter is up first, and he heads up top, coming off with an axe handle. But Goldust catches him with a keister clobber on his way down. Oh my god. I couldn't help but... I had to write Keister Clopper. <laughs> it's so funny. Allowing the Golden One to take control with a back body drop, turnbuckle smashes, and a bulldog for a near fall. And China starts to make her way around ringside. She's on the move. Towards Marlena. As Goldust attempts the curtain call. But Triple H floats over and attempts the pedigree. Only for the Golden One to counter it into a catapult of Hunter into the top rope. I know Goldust pauses for that second as he sees his director being attacked. Goldust goes for the curtain call again when he sees the monstrous Amazonian threatening his wife. So he picks her up to the apron while Triple H nails a jumping knee from behind, knocking Marlena straight into the arms of China. Oh no! Hunter delivers the pedigree to the gold one for the pin. And, and the, the win. While Marlena gets ragdolled by China on the outside. Yes. I mean, it's the perfect size difference. And it even it looks even worse and is more impactful because this is WrestleMania. So last time she got attacked, it wasn't at WrestleMania. But right beforehand, like, Goldust just, like, picks... He's, like, in the ring and picks her up from the floor and it just kind of illustrates how like small how small <laughs> how small she is so then her getting knocked into china and then china ragdolling her just like it adds uh, some weight to it yeah all i know is i hope she had a good chiropractor oh yeah yeah because she got that full looney tunes i'm gonna love it and squeeze it, and hold it and... <laughs> yeah what is it elmira <laughs> no. well i'm talking the, the 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 big monster oh yeah that basically Fed the Elmira character. Yeah, I can't remember his name. The big orange guy. Yes. George, I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I'm going to hug him and kiss him and love him and squeeze him and call him my own, my very own little rabbit. I'm going to call him George or something like that. <laughs> so Vince sends us back to the AOL room where we see Shawn Michaels looking perplexed by a laptop he's using with McMahon having a hearty laugh at the scene. I think the last time we saw Sean in front of a laptop, he looked perplexed too because he was like trying to type 
one letter at a time, doing the whole hunt and peck thing. Hmm. Six. We then go to our fourth match, Vader and Mankind, with Paul Bearer versus Owen Hart and the British Bulldog for the WWF Tag Team Championships. So JR gets a word with the champs in the aisleway, stirring up trouble by asking if Davy Boy is offended by Owen, saying he was smarter. And Hart just tells him to stop causing problems. While Bulldog says he has two belts, Owen has two slammies, followed by Ross asking who the leader is, with Hart replying that he was. <laughs> yeah, I love it. He asks, and then, like, you know, they don't answer, and JR asks, he's like, well, who's the leader? And, you know, as they're walking off, Owen just turns back and like, yeah, I am. A little weasel. Oh, bully two belts. So Vader attacks Owen to start with stiff shots and headbutts. But then Hart uses his speed to avoid clotheslines and nail a spinning heel kick. Goes for a crossbody, only for the Mastodon to catch and power slam Owen down. And Vader tries for an elbow drop, but Hart moves and goes for a head scissors, only to get caught again for a powerbomb. And the Mastodon drags Owen to the corner for a Vader bomb. But Bulldog comes over to put a stop to it, bringing in Mankind for a double team on Davy Boy only for him to duck and deliver a double clothesline of his own, followed by a double dropkick from Hart. And Bulldog and Foley stay in the ring as it settles back down, with Davy Boy nailing suplexes to both of the challengers, but then falls out of the ring as Vader low bridges the ropes. And Mankind falls out to use the urn, only for Bulldog to avoid momentarily. But the Mastodon just picks it up to smash over Davy Boy's back, which has Bear very delighted. I just love that Mankind goes to hit him, and British Bulldog hits him with the drop toe hold. So he just like fall, does like a basically like a comedic Pratt fall, but like with it in his hand. It's a great angle. The challengers continue the punishment with suplexes, stiff shots, avalanche attacks, splashes, running knees, and an apron leg drop. Bader heads up top where he leaps off, only for the Bulldog to catch him with a power slam, followed by Owen nailing a missile dropkick. He goes for a sunset flip, but the Mastodon stays up and drops down, which Hart has moved and headed to the top rope to fly off with a crossbody for a two count. And Vader responds with another avalanche attack and tossing Owen to the floor to slow the momentum, followed by the challengers teaming up for a demolition decapitation on the outside. And Foley tries to bring in Hart the hard way, but it's blocked. So Mankind hotshots Owen and continues the beatdown right in front of Stu and Helen Hart in the front row. They're always there. Now back in the ring, Foley with a chin lock that Owen escapes and hits a DDT. Goes for a splash, but Mankind gets his knees up before nailing a clothesline in the corner only for Hart to respond with a spinning heel kick for a near fall. And the Mastodons tagged in to deliver more stiff shots and a vertical suplex, but Owen floats over and hits another spinning heel kick, only for Vader to be up first to drop an elbow across the back. Foley returns to toss Hart outside, following out, only to run right into a belly-to-belly suplex, allowing Owen to roll back in, but Mankind stops him from making a tag. Owen nailing an enziguri 
allowing him to make the crawl for the hot tag. Bulldog cleans house with a clothesline and a double noggin knocker. Back elbow to Foley, throws him hard into a corner where Mankind's head hits the ring post several times. Posted. Followed by picking him up for the running power slam. But it's reversed into a mandible claw. Oh no. And Vader stops Hart from breaking it up. Then nailing an avalanche attack that sends Owen crashing into Foley and Davy Boy, sending them all tumbling down to the floor. Where Mankind reapplies the claw, with neither man making it back into the ring for a double countout, as the Mastodon continues beating down Hart inside the ring. Post-match, Foley won't release the hold, even with Owen trying to pull him off. But Vader comes out to continue beating him down, running Hart into the steel steps. The Mastodon is telling Foley to kill him, but he then pulls Mankind off by his hair and hugs his partner, while Owen looks on concerned. Hmm. It's totally fine. It's one of those things where it's like, there's no finish, but, like, Mankind and Vader tagging is kind of a big deal. And I don't, we don't know if they'll continue it. And I don't think they know if they'll continue it. So DQ is the smart thing to do. I think everybody will... Hindsight, but even at this point in time, I feel like people want to see Vader and Mankind as singles wrestlers unless it's like a Survivor Series kind of match. Agreed. Love both guys to death. So, fun note here. The reason for this finish was the challengers were supposed to win, but was changed at the last moment when Bret Hart used his stroke to push an idea he had that we will see unfold over the next few months. Okay. All right. If you know what that idea is, then you know where I'm talking about. And if you don't, just stay with us. That's right. And you'll find out. Listen aloud. We'll tell you. I've got an idea. Vincent sends us to a video package about Austin and the Hitman. Ted Pettengale narration over highlights of our two competitors asking us to imagine that we're Bret Hart, who has established a legacy, but nothing is the same. No friends, no respect. Everyone has changed. All because of Steve Austin. Stone Cold gained fame by attacking you physically and verbally, mocking your legacy and spewing forth his rhetoric. And his followers sing his praises, causing the hitman to snap. Your ego is your enemy. What happened to you? Now Brett has to make Austin beg for mercy. But what happens if Hark loses? Bum, bum, bum. I mean, it's such a great package. Stone Cold calling Brett a fucking crybaby. And he's got a very like, southern, like, bootstrap mentality. It's like, nobody ever handed me anything, so I'm going to take it. So he's, he's been fucking with Bret Hart because he's smart. He's, like, a heel, but he is relatable, especially to, especially to an uh, average wrestling fan. And here's Vince McMahon always like, ah, I hate this Southern stuff. And it's like, Stone Cold Steve Austin has like a Texas accent. And he's not 
portrayed as some kind of cowboy or, or anything like that. He is just a guy that's a badass, yeah. but he's relatable and obviously Southern. He is like the modern day cowboy, but he's more brash and he's not quiet and steely. He's he's a dickhead that's going to make opportunities for himself. So it's funny that one of the biggest stars Vince ever has is a fucking... Everything he was always against. Everything, everything that, yeah. <laughs> the thing he fired JR for the first time and all this stuff. Yeah, but... But then what's funny is you look at the three big stars from, you know, the Attitude Era. You got your Austin, your Taker, and your... I mean, yeah. Well, I guess Sean... Texas. Sean was gone. Yeah, he was gone by then, but yeah. Yeah, he started Texas, Texas, Texas. Yeah. During this time, anyways. For sure. So we're headed to our fifth match. Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Brett the Hitman Hart in a submission match with Ken Shamrock as the special guest referee. And on the go-home Raw to WrestleMania, Brett had received a rematch for the WWF Championship versus Sid in a cage. Oh. Stone Cold would keep interfering, helping the hitman, while The Undertaker would also come down to help Sid so they could either help or preserve their opponent's title. Yeah, yeah. Chances, basically. In the end, Taker would cost Hart the match by slamming the cage door into his head allowing Psycho Sid to escape over the wall. Damn. And after the match, Brett snapped, throwing Vince down to the mat, going on a profanity-laced tirade. This is bullshit! Which actually led to the seven-second delay on USA. That was, oh, wow. That was an incredible moment on Raw that I remember watching growing up because Brett was always... Brett was always Brett. And then all of a sudden, one day, he just wasn't Brett anymore. That's all he could stand, and he can't stand no more. Yeah, I mean, it's also funny because, like, well, we did something very similar to this uh, for, what was it, the last In Your House? Like, on the mm-hmm. previous, uh, or the maybe it was a Raw after the San Antonio show. And it's like, oh, okay. But, yeah, it's if it's working, it's working. This here, the actual glass break. Come on, guys. Yep. Come on. I guess more of the story. Oh, okay. Sorry. Go ahead. We ain't done. Sid would come running back down to the ring, attacking the hitman, with officials attempting to break it up, which Hart would end up nailing Pat Patterson at one point, leading to McMahon yelling, He just hit Hall of Famer Pat Patterson, that no good son of a bitch. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Austin and the dead man would follow to join in on the brawl, and as the show was going off the air, Shawn Michaels would walk out with a chair in hand. <laughs> but then Stone Cold Stone entering the arena, walking through that glass partition that says Austin 316 I mean, on it. The fucking pop and the break. And it's like, you normally don't get the glass actually breaking, at least in the future, but it's such a good visual. The shows where it does is great. Oh my God, yes. And when he gets in the ring, he gets right in Shamrock's face, letting him know he means business. Absolutely. 
And as Brett enters the ring, Stone Cold just straight up tackles him. And the two start brawling out of the ring. Where the hitman runs Austin into a ring post. Post. Only for Stone Cold to come right back to crotch heart on a guardrail. It's hot. Followed by a clothesline. They head out into the crowd to continue to brawl. With Austin throwing a drink at Brett and trying to pile drive him. Only for the hitman to reverse into a back body drop on the concrete steps. They brawl their way back to ringside where Stone Cold reverses a whip to send Hart into the steel steps. Followed by a clothesline from the apron. And it's crazy. Like This is a huge pop as they go into the brawl into the crowd. But this isn't ECW or WCW. This is like a palpable feud at WrestleMania. So they don't even do much in the crowd, but it feels like a lot mm-hmm. just because they earned it. Austin picks up the steps to use as a weapon when Brett would kick <laughs> the knee of Stone Cold to evade the attack. And they return to the ring where Austin telegraphs a back body drop, allowing the hitman to hit a swinging neckbreaker and a second rope elbow drop before working the leg until Stone Cold is able to deliver a stunner to slow the momentum. Hart just goes back to the knee, locking on a figure four around the ring post, followed by grabbing a chair and the ring bell. Brett then wraps the chair around Austin's leg and heads up top, but Stone Cold makes it to his feet, smashing the steel over the head and back of the hitman. Several times. I mean, come on, guys. Beautiful swing, beautiful impact, beautiful sound. Austin with body slams, hard whips into corners, vertical suplex, and a second rope elbow drop, which is causing Hart's daughter to cry in the crowd. Stone Cold hits a side Russian leg sweep before starting to work various submissions, including a Boston Crab, which Brett makes the ropes. To break. And I mean, these guys are doing incredible jobs of selling, like, Stone Cold's selling his leg in this match is top tier. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's so good. Austin then tries to apply a sharpshooter, but the hitman blocks, and the two begin to trade strikes until Stone Cold tosses Hart to the floor. Austin follows out only for his whip to be reversed sending Stone Cold into the timekeeper's table and the guardrail, busting him open. I know, I was trying to figure out where he cut himself, but he cut himself before the whip. The hard way. No, it wasn't the hard way. It was before the whip into the steel. He just got it in there quick, didn't start pumping till till he came back around. Brett continues the punishment, ramming Austin into the ring post and steps. Punching the cut, continues with a backbreaker, second rope elbow drop, and using the chair across the leg. The hitman then goes for the sharpshooter, only for Stone Cold to escape by raking the eyes. But Hart stays on the attack until Austin checks on Saskatoon's population of two. (laughs) Took me a second there. (laughs) Stone Cold sends Brett Sternum first into the corner. Stomping a mud hole before delivering a superplex. Austin grabs an electrical cord, wrapping it around the throat of the hitman, choking him. But Hart is able to grab the ring bell and smash it over the head of Stone Cold 
to break the hold. I mean, so intelligent. This guy is bleeding his ass off, and he's getting choked. And the ring bell. They already set it up a little bit. They touched it earlier. Brett then locks on the sharpshooter in the middle of the ring, with the blood pouring down the face of Austin, dripping into his mouth as he cries out in pain. He tries to power out, only for the hitman to sit back down, with Austin going unconscious. So Shamrock calls for the bell, making Hart the winner. Wow. So, I mean, yeah, be a knockout, right? Technically, I mean, you know, he passed out. He may not have been punched, but he passed out, it's a knockout, right? I mean, it's a knockout, but it's not a a submission. (laughs) No, exactly. I mean, yeah. I mean, this is uh, the star-making performance. Post-match, Brett celebrates, but then attacks Stone Cold once again, with Ken telling him to stop, to no avail. Shamrock then waist-locks the hitman down to the mat, daring him to fight. But Hart thinks better of it and leaves to the back, flipping off a few fans on his way out. Ooh. The officials come out to help Austin, only for Stone Cold to stunner on one of them, before refusing any aid, limping his way to the back on his own, as the fans applaud him. And that's what you call a double, double turn. turn. And what's great about it is, like, Austin comes out to cheers. Brett comes out to what I've interpreted as a bigger pop throughout the match. Austin does get some booze in moments where he's on top and Brett is down. You don't hear as many boos for Brett. Austin loses in the classiest and most badass way possible. Uh, Brett throws a fit, which he's been doing for quite a while, and is a sore loser here. Or a sore winner. Yeah. Which is yeah. like, yeah, like. That's yeah. what makes it worse. And then Austin, not only does he get up and hit a stunner, he walks out a bloody mess selling his leg incredibly by himself. It's just, I mean, what is there to change here? The order of the matches. <laughs> How do you top that? Yeah, I mean, you could have other great matches on this show, and they wouldn't be, like, remembered in any I mean potentially in a meaningful way but probably not in any real meaningful way so you know can keep that in our mind as we as we uh, yeah. talk about the, our feelings afterwards I but. feel for the sons of bitches that are coming up next I mean I'm gonna go ahead and say it now because we're all thinking it yeah but we all know it's a short list match oh yeah I mean yeah I mean psychology selling like everything storytelling like everything here is uh Burned and performed to a T. Almost 30 years later, and it's still one of the best ever matches. Yeah. Not just at Mania, but just ever. We've seen the finish a million times in, like, packages packages and stuff, and it's still maybe not just as impactful, because how can it be? But it is still... Like means something today. What makes it more impactful watching it back is that you get to see it in color. Because on the bulk of the replays, anytime oh. they show blood, it's black and white. Because, yeah. because, 
So yeah, that just adds all those extra little bits. Perfection. We go to the back. Todd Pettengill's there with Farouk and the Nation of Domination. And Todd lists the various weapons that they have, being everything but the kitchen sink. Only for the militant to tell Pettengill he forgot the thugs. And Fruit continues that the crooks and criminals are out tonight in Chicago, followed by saying that punk-colored boy Ahmed is going down tonight, before finishing with, you think I don't have the kitchen sink, but just wait and see. (laughs) Vince McMahon humor to come. So we go to our sixth match. Farouk, Crush, and Savio Vega with the Nation of Domination. Versus the Legion of Doom of Road Warrior Hawk and Road Warrior Animal and Ahmed Johnson in a Chicago street fight. And the last time we saw the Road Warriors was at Slammery 96, episode 201. A little bit. Yep, it'll be interesting to see uh, if one of these guys knows where he is. (laughs) So Ahmed comes out wearing shoulder spikes like his teammates while Hawk is carrying a kitchen sink. Mm. So I guess the nation didn't have one. No, they didn't. And everyone starts brawling away with Johnson and the Road Warriors cleaning house with body slams when the rest of the Nation of Domination entourage jump in the ring, only to be body slammed down as well. And the fight spills into the aisleway, Farouk's using a nightstick on Animal, when there's a young fan... That pats the back of Hawk. Oh no. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. I forgot to keep an eye out. It was a young Colt Cabana. Yeah, oh, I, I was going to say Chicago. I like, I know it's not <laughs> Matt Cardona because he's an <coughs> East Coast guy, I think. But Colt Cabana would make sense. He's a Chicago guy. Mm-hmm. I know that. Yeah, I wouldn't have recognized him because... Oh, he looks exactly like well, him. Well, I, I don't know much about Colt Cabana. Uh, I mean, he's so. got a, yeah, very... He's uh seems to be a very sweet guy. Yeah. See, like in my mind, I'm picturing him, and I'm picturing like younger Tommy Dreamer. He's got the body of Tommy <laughs> Dreamer. If Tommy Dreamer ever cared about his body, where it's like Cole Cabana is a like thick, barrel-chested guy, but he's always in shape, and uh, I think that he's very good. I'm just not the biggest fan of comedy wrestling. I think he's he's got a he's got a skill set, but that's kind of thing he does and he'll probably wrestle longer for it so who am I to judge Ahmed flies over the railing with a somersault plancha onto Crush Johnson then also dives back over the railing to ringside before using a trash can while Hawk with a clothesline and looks to use a 2x4 in the ring on Savio oh. but Vega moves causing the wooden object to bounce straight up in the air off the turnbuckle with Hawk catching it and sending Savio escaping out to the floor. I mean, is this maybe the spot of the match? <laughs> it's pretty incredible, a visual. Check out that 2 by 4 Yeah, it's kind of great. Animal uses the nightstick now on Farouk, followed by the two fighting on the French announce table, with Animal attempting a pile driver. But they end up just tumbling down to the floor. Tough look. In the ring, Crush uses a trash can over Johnson, while Vega uses a 2 by 4 on Hawk. But Road Warrior Hawk responds with a nightstick shot to everybody before Animal sprays a fire extinguisher at Farouk. 
And we get trash can shots by Savio on Ahmed and Hawk while Crush is rolled out to work on Animal. And Vega tosses Hawk into a sign that was set up in the corner, only for Road Warrior Hawk to respond by placing a trash can over Savio and punching it. And on the outside, the rappers are holding Johnson with Farouk trying to use a trash can. But Ahmed breaks loose to kick away the militant and slamming him through the French announce table. More trash can shots shared by everyone. The fire extinguisher is used again that gives JR a coughing fit. Before we go back in the ring where Savio is given a noose and ties it around Johnson's neck with the entourage on the outside pulling on the rope to choke Ahmed. Ahmed then hits a double clothesline on Crush and Farouk before using a trash can to knock Vega out of the ring. And Johnson's gotten the noose removed and is fighting away on the floor with the entourage. When Savio would arrive with some kind of chair, while Animal uses a parking sign over the back of Farouk inside the ring. Ahmed and Vega fight their way into the crown as the militant puts the noose around Hawk's neck, only to get hit again by Animal and the sign. And Farouk starts to hang Hawk, but the road warrior fights back to pull the militant out to the floor while the entourage works over Johnson back at ringside. And Crush is working on Animal inside the ring, while Farouk now has the noose around his neck, with Ahmed hitting him with a plastic tub. (laughs) My plastic tub. Most dangerous of weapons. Savio slams Hawk's head into the timekeeper's table, while Johnson drags Farouk by the noose into the ring. And Vega attacks Ahmed from behind, allowing the entourage to remove the noose, from Farouk's neck. The militant then rolls in, being left alone with Johnson, who delivers a spine buster in the middle of the ring, while Hawk uses the fire extinguisher again on the floor. And Ahmed looks to nail a powerbomb when the entourage and Savio attacking, while the road warriors drag Crush back into the ring for a doomsday device. Johnson is then handed the 2 by 4 by one of the rappers because probably it was knocked away from where it was supposed to be. Followed by using it over the head of Crush for the pin and And the the win. win. Post-match, the entourage runs in to attack with Ahmed nailing a Pearl River plunge before he and the animal pick up the wrappers onto their shoulders for Hawk to fly off with a double doomsday device, leaving them to celebrate in the ring. I mean, this, if... The Road Warriors were not in Chicago. This is the piss match. Mm-hmm. Luckily, the Road Warriors were there, so some people were into it. Yeah, but this... I'd say last week we saw a better garbage match with people that I care about less. I'm going to completely disagree. You liked it? And I think this is the second best match on the show. Really? Mm. I mean, it's slim pickings, <laughs> brother. And the Road Warriors are awesome, and I know you're a Road Warriors fan, and I'm a Road Warriors fan as well. But uh, I think it was one of those things where it's sometimes it's hard to get the crowd back, even 30 years later. Oh, there definitely is some... One of the, I'll say it right now, one of the biggest issues with this show is the placement of matches. Because mm-hmm. you just had a brawl, and now you're having another brawl. Yeah, and the other brawl, but the other brawl meant... More. more yeah, yeah completely yeah 
It's like, I mean, the Ahmed and Farouk thing feels like it's been going on a little too long. It's been going on a little too long without really going on because they keep yeah. getting injured. Yeah, yeah. It's time to move on. Yep. The In Your House commercial is shown again, followed by Shawn Michaels coming out, posing and high-fiving fans before joining the commentary booth. Vincent sends us to Todd in the back with Psycho Sid, saying this could be the most important night of Sid's career, with him agreeing, saying WrestleMania is the biggest event of your, the world. Sid. Psycho Sid then whispers that darkness has fallen and everyone is scared, except him, because he's the master and ruler of the world. The the DT. He says it like he's got delirium triggers. World. (laughs) World. So we go to our seventh match. The Undertaker versus Psycho Sid in a no-DQ match for the WWF Championship. And Ross says that the dead man is wearing the same outfit from his first mania. Which, it was technically different gloves, by the way. Yeah, it was uh, like... Was he, it? Yeah, what, he was what? in a different color scheme back then. Well, he was, did the gray and black when he started, right? The, the outfit was the same. The gloves were different. Well, well, what was different about the gloves? They were a different color. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. While also mentioning that he's never lost. First mention of the streak? Mm-hmm. We never lost at a mania. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just making sure. Since 1992... So the two men stare each other down when Bret Hart makes his way into the ring, asking for a mic. And the hitman calls Sean a phony, telling him to take his pussyfoot injury and go find his smile, before turning his attention to Taker, saying that slamming the cage door on his head slammed the door on their friendship. Bret then calls Sid a fraud, that the belt belongs to him and he knows it. But Psycho Sid has had enough, and he attacks Hart, delivering a powerbomb. I mean, Brett just fucking burning every bridge ever. Sid then tells the hitman to get his whining ass out of there, that he will kick his ass after he's done with the Undertaker, which leads to the dead man attacking Psycho Sid. And he controls with punches, boots, a corner splash, body slam, and old school. But on a second corner splash attempt, Sid catches him and places Taker in a bear hug. Undertaker escapes by clapping the ears, but then runs into a big boot and a clothesline that sends the dead man out to the floor. He tries to drag Psycho Sid out, but he's able to kick the Taker off into the Spanish announcers. Ah, The only reason he kicked him into the Spanish announce table, because there wasn't a French one. Sid with a not-so-rubber-band slam atop the railing multiple times, before also power-slamming him onto the Spanish announce table and ramming his back into the ring post. Posted. Back in the ring, Psycho Sid locks on a camel clutch before hitting a second-rope double axe handle. But Undertaker looks to rally with turnbuckle smashes, only for Sid to counter a whip to nail a power slam for several near-falls. Psycho Sid with a leg drop for a two count, but he then misses a clothesline, allowing the dead man to come off the ropes with a leaping clothesline, only for Sid to respond with more strikes to maintain control, 
until Taker is able to pull Sid out through the ropes to the floor. It is kind of nice to see a large man is going like tit for tat with Taker because typically people work from underneath. We've seen Taker work from underneath a couple of times in his career, really. Those big uh, giants that don't know how to move. Yeah, and it's like, okay, well, we got two guys that are looking to be on a pretty even playing field at this point, even though I'd much rather get punched by, by Undertaker than Sid. Definitely. <laughs> Undertaker follows out to toss Psycho Sid into the crowd, where they trade strikes at the railing, before the dead man slams Sid's head into the steel steps. They head back into the ring where Taker goes for an elbow drop, but Psycho Sid moves in time and goes back to wearing down the Undertaker with a reverse chin lock. The dreaded reverse chin lock. The Psycho Lock. The dead man with fists of fury and a power slam to slow the momentum locks on a nerve hole. I mean, if he didn't, ha- if his traps weren't so that big, then you know, maybe he wouldn't even bother with it. But after escaping, the two men run the ropes, only for Taker to nail a clothesline for a two-count. And they run the ropes again, with each going for a big boot to cause a double KO. But Psycho Sid's up first to deliver multiple second-rope axe handles. Tries for another, only for the Undertaker to catch him in the gut on his way down. And Sid stops the rally by raking the eyes and heads up top, only for the dead man to rise and press slam Psycho Sid down to the mat. Taker then heads up top himself, flying off with a clothesline, before attempting a tombstone. But Sid reverses it into one of his own, for the pin. And no! no Undertaker kicks out. I mean, it was uh, nice it, to see him reverse it for his own instead of hit the backdrop. Psycho Sid tosses the dead man out to the floor, following out to continue the attack when the hitman would return with a chair across the back of Sid several times. Sore loser. Officials drag hard away as Taker rams Sid into the ring post, spine first. Posted. Rolling back in to choke slam the champ. For the pin! And no! Psycho Sid kicks out! Undertaker goes for another jumping clothesline, but Sid ducks and attempts a powerbomb. Only for Brett to come running back out. The man. A man possessed. He's gone full stone cold. <laughs> Psycho Sid meets the hitman at the ropes of strikes. But Hart hotshot Sid, causing him to bounce to the middle of the ring, where the dead man delivers a tombstone. For the pin! And, and the, the win. win! And new! And finally. Second time, right? Well, the other one was just for like... Barely a week or I mean, a couple of days. He's or... a cup of coffee champion. We all know that. <laughs> Post-match, Taker celebrates with the belt, pointing to the crowd before posing as Vince says his goodbyes, and we fade to black. Okay. Two quick things. Mm-hmm. I said that I'd rather get punched by Taker than Sid. I'd rather take a pile driver from The Undertaker than from Sid. Big yeah. balls on Taker taking a pile driver from Sid. Could have ended his life. The other thing is, WWE has incredible branding. They've made just about any toy or game, video game, board game, card game. Interactive, what, Netflix, net, interactive Netflix 
experience. <laughs> Anything you can think of. How about, remember the guys remember the game Don't Wake Daddy? Mm-hmm. But the Undertaker edition? He sits up. He's in the ring and he sits up. I like that. Just, that a, could cute, work. just a cute idea that I just had. But, you know, back to the show. So I ask you, gentlemen, what are your overall thoughts of WrestleMania 13? It's kind of a one-match show, and I don't hate the main event. No, it serves its purpose, but it's not an it's not a mania event for the ages, and I don't think it would have been even without our incredible the match of this show is the perfect blend of Vince McMahon's sports entertainment and just the like what professional wrestling is the like drama violence and athletic competition of wrestling is just like kind of the perfect marriage of the two things and I think that's kind of beautiful kind of along the same lines Brett and Austin were great Taker, Sid, not my favorite Mania main event. Definitely could have been worse. Absolutely could have been worse. I'd say probably Sid's best Mania appearance, best Mania main event that he's had. They didn't make him look weak, even though he lost the belt, which I kind of appreciate. But it's a little too little too late. Sid was really over for a second, and then they just put too many irons in the fire. And got it off of him, which is probably the smart thing to do in the long run. But it was kind of nice to see Sid as uh, a fan favorite for a couple of months. It was also kind of reassuring to see the shoe on the other foot finally. Because when Brett was a champion and all these names were involved in there, Brett was the one that was like lost in the fray of it all. You know, They were focused on Taker and Sean and Vader and all these other ones. And now Brett's not the champion, and he's making sure you're going to say my goddamn name because I'm going to be right here in every one of your faces as much as I have to be. And that's that's the part that I... I mean, I love the Brett-Austin match. You know, It's got some okay moments throughout the show, but just the, uh, the de-evolution or the degeneration of Bret Hart during this one show is what I love the most about this mania. It's kind of great, too, because, like, Austin said he was going to do a thing. It's like, if a babyface says he's going to do a thing, he has to eventually do that thing. And Austin has been a heel, a dickhead, but he said he was going to do a thing, and he didn't do it, but is better off because of it. But he's pulled Bret Hart, kicking and screaming, down to his level. But Austin doesn't come off as a crybaby as much as he comes off as a guy that means it and he's brought Brett down to his level and he's like the yin and yang of like the same person where it's like well Brett is coming from the same place as Austin but for some reason he's wrong and uh yeah it's kind of wild who knows if they even meant to do that <laughs> but it's uh yeah it's like we're meant for it to you know be like two sides of the same mirror i don't know if that's you know what i mean yeah but uh yeah no kind of kind of wild and i mean this is 
like the the crux the like the fulcrum point of of is the beginning of winning the war potentially it's, yeah, potentially it's, it's definitely a a massive blow to the other side for sure yeah, definitely like yeah oh uh, uh, yeah like a notch. we took the guy you couldn't do anything with for all those years and look what happened yeah we're about to make him you a t-shirt fucking show yeah we're about to make him a t-shirt that's only one guy as opposed <laughs> to a t-shirt that's three guys that's constantly growing so the undercard of the show is very weak mm-hmm. and so that does not help on this show but we do have the match of the year we're just gonna say it right now. I mean, come on. We, we're gonna guarantee. We're. I can guarantee. There you go. That we, it's gonna be on. Ladies and gentlemen, we have our first guarantee. Yeah, it's like we don't typically number the shortlist matches, but I mean, this one's gonna be. It's gonna be on the, on the show. Yes. When we get there. I mean, and, and this is. I guess it's pretty early in '97, but I just you know. Who knows if, uh, yeah, it's like we're going to, everything's going to be judged to this standard. But, you know, we'll still be fair because we know a good wrestling match when we see one. And as I mentioned earlier, I liked the six-man tag. It was fun, goofy, like, yeah, just a fun time. Like, I don't, I just, I just thought it was better. Like I said, I thought it was the second best match. But I think that says more about the other matches, yeah, more than it does really about that match. Because I agree, probably in a vacuum, it's not the best match in the world. I mean, no, it's definitely it's not, not the best match in the world. But like, just compared to the other ones, I was just like, I had fun with that one. So it at least makes the show like those two matches made the show bearable for me. Yeah, it's like the I think the 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 WrestleMania. It's an it's an event. It's a in stayed that way. There's been so many manias that no one's like cared about, but they just pack people in to fucking football stadiums. I say nobody, but I'm being a little hyperbolic there. But there's still just a little bit of something in the air, even when you have it's, it's yeah, it's the name, it's the branding. When you have a pretty undesirable card. In general, it still still kind of feels good to watch a WrestleMania. I don't know why. I mean, that's what they've been selling for so long. Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? There. All right. Fuck you. I think it's time we smark it up. So are some of the best moments of this show. We've already discussed them, I think. There I mean, will be blood. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was nice to see. The three minutes of uh, Ferdinand and Lafon getting some big boy moves, but uh, that match meant nothing to me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say I was encouraged by what I saw from the Blackjacks. Like I think they can be a force. Yeah, I don't know. If I'm they'll be. pretty sure that they never get to that point. Yeah. But there's potential. But I see the potential even in just this one match of what they could be. China ragdolling Marlena. Yeah, yeah, that I mean, was great. Hunter and Goldust. I mean, uh, Goldust uh, spit and then kiss. Pfft, come on. <clears throat> I mean, obviously it's gross and not cool, but it's the it was the right thing to it's do for Goldust cool. at the time. And he had <laughs> like I don't suggest on like spitting on women, but this is wrestling. And uh, China tried to Man take his uh, woman. yeah tried to 
just, I mean, she shook her like uh, Elmira and a cat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Rocky and the Sultan, it's like, uh, the Sultan? It's WrestleMania. Yeah. I mean, they had to build him up real quick in those last few weeks. To... Yeah. I don't know if it worked on anybody, but hey. No, I would not say it did. I think Ken Shamrock did a very good job yeah. of uh, presenting himself as a serious guy that won't take any bullshit, and uh, he also he is did a great job as a ref because yeah. I didn't even realize he was there. But yeah, I mean, yeah. Like after, afterwards, for I went, "Oh yeah, that's right. Shamrock was the guest referee." Yeah, like when he grabs the waist lock on Brett. To that's like, what he said he's just going to be a ref, and he did. Yeah, he did a great job. The only reason you would have noticed him is because he's the fittest ref you've ever seen. Yeah, uh, he looks great. Don't tell Eddie that. Well, never. Eddie looks great too, but Eddie's not flaunted. Ken Shamrock's wearing, uh, you know, a shirt two sizes too small. He's got the guns popping. I'm trying to think if there's any other standout. That's the thing is like, yeah. like there's not like just those moments this really is, on this show. I mean, this is with with the exception of the Road Warriors in Chicago and Brett and Austin and like Rocky Johnson showing up so you have like some somebody's father like this is kind of like a glorified in your house with a with an with an extra match in a, or two and yeah. and one of the best and most important matches uh in modern wwf history i don't even know it's modern if you want to call it's call, maybe call it's it over the, like, 25 years. The, the end of it's, the, it's officially the, yeah, a classic. The end of the Silver Age, the beginning of the Gold Age. I don't know what you call it, but like, if you want to do it like where you talk about comics, it's like, well, I guess the Golden Age is, you know, Bruno to Hogan. Silver Age is Hogan yeah. to Brett. I mean, Hogan to Brett was the, well, I guess it, it wasn't the rock and wrestling. That was just the startup of it. Yeah, yeah. I guess rock and, yeah, it's kind of, I guess maybe, yeah, maybe that's the... Yeah, who knows? There's kind of demarcation points in in the thing, and we're working on the yeah the new generation. The, yeah, I mean the new generation. Right. Yeah, the, the new, new generation is about to turn into uh, you know the last generation was like the employees. The generation before that was more of like your superhero. Yeah, ego, the egomaniacs. You had your Hulks. You had your savages. Your rudes, cocky little Ricky the Dragon steamboats of the world. Yeah, there's that. I mean, who knows? We could do a fucking three-hour podcast talking and and uh, putting things into 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 drawers yeah, or uh, on bookshelves. But uh, how about most disappointing? That there's not a better card. A mankind singles match would have been nice. A Vader single match. Would have been nice. I mean, if they if they had actually done the title change, that would have been a big moment. Double count out. I think it it would have made that match so much better. Yeah. I don't think the match was bad. It's just one of those things like you can't do this on a WrestleMania. But there's also like not a real feud either. So like, what do you do? Yeah, I mean, I would have. We'll just talk about it now because I think the order of the card is not great. No. And yes, as much as we want to put. Breton Stone Cold is the main event. It can't be. They're not. It can't because of so much of Brett's turn plays into the main event. Yeah. And Taker winning the belt for like the second time can't be 
can't happen. It has to happen at the end of WrestleMania. He's the Undertaker. Yeah. I personally think that Rocky and Sultan should have probably started off the match. Start off the show? Yeah, started off the show. Okay. Also would have found someone better than the Sultan, but... Yeah. If you're going to go through all that trouble, just throw Honky in there. Oh wow! No, I mean, I would I would have thrown someone that was a lot more athletic. That so like both men could have just shown like some athleticism. You know, it would have been great. A man covered in uh, covered in uh, full body tattoos and full body kanji tattoos showing up against Rocky Maivia would have been a very nice. Well, I was match. thinking maybe Flash Funk because oh, he's, actually, he's actually on the roster. I mean, but... yeah, I forgot. I mean, yeah, the other guy's not there anymore. Flash Funk. Obviously, it would have been uh, nice, but you know, maybe he's on in detention I mean, for they're body both reasons. Faces, technically, so they wouldn't have done that. Yeah, yeah. but then I would have gone to the Chicago Street fight. You got to get it early and put it second. Would have left Hunter and Goldust where it was. Yeah, would have left. There's an angle there. Brett sure. and uh, or I guess the tag team's fine where it's at. Brett and Stone Cold's fine where it's at, and then move the four way tag match to. The piss break match. Oh, you would have brought it all the way up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it really would have deflated. But I guess you needed to have that. Deflation. But the thing is, you could have had. I mean, it's all it was like you, you eight could you long. could have built you could have helped any of those four teams out as well by putting them Owen up. and Bulldog coming out and possibly fucking like, making it look like okay, we're taking you as serious challengers. Even though they're gonna make, they're because they're gonna meet tomorrow night yeah. on Raw. Yeah, that's what I would have done. But yeah, I don't hate it. I don't think it would have made the show. I don't think what you just potted out would have made the show worse. No, that's no. the thing. How about best performer of the night? I mean, it's I Stone it to, Cold. I mean, it's Stone Cold or Brett because because. Brett not only had his turn during his match, but then came down at the main event and. Did his best, Stone Cold. Yeah, but but yeah, I feel like Stone Cold gets the edge because of the selling of the leg and the selling of like it could have looked stupid. And it's it was de- covered in blood, but it could have looked dumb with him just passing out. It's definitely harder to go from heel to face than it is from mm-hmm. face to heel. Yeah, and why I love Brett, I think Brett is. I mean, I think Brett is everything he's ever said he was. So I'll never take anything away from him, but. Stone Cold didn't do the thing that he said he was going to do, but still somehow did it. It's like he didn't didn't he do didn't it, but he match. did it. He didn't win the match. But he won the match. But yeah, exactly. And that's how often does that happen? Right. Almost never. And we like nobody is going to ever, nobody is complaining about it. Gained fans because of it. It's, yeah. I can't think of any situation where that's happened. His career recently. wouldn't have had the same effect or trajectory or whatever word you want to throw in there had he won the match like or had he yeah. got the pin i, I mean say. that was it was the yeah he became the like perfect babyface underdog after being biggest pain in the ass dickhead for the last six months pretty wild to do that all in one evening to do that all in like what 18 minutes and technically i feel like I'm pretty sure everyone knows what happens later in 1997. Yes. Certain person has the belt. I think the plan would have been for him to continue to have the belt 
until WrestleMania next year and have this match again, but with the belt on the line. And how good would that be? We all know we're not getting that. Yeah. But I'm literally, I literally think that that was what the plan was. I mean, it's the it's the it's the it, it obvious itself. it's the obvious thing to do. And one of my one of the things that I hate more than anything is that Bret Hart's career basically ends after '97 in yeah. a meaningful way. And I think that that is like one of the biggest travesties of like modern wrestling. We can talk about Magnum TA getting hurt, but he wasn't there yet. He wasn't Bret Hart, nor was he going to be Bret Hart. Mm-hmm. But maybe he could have been the Hulk of JCP. But Bret was getting was starting to get older. He so was. His run on top was coming to an end He's, sooner sooner than you think. Yeah, yeah, but maybe he still probably had. Three or four years, I mean, and yeah. Austin doesn't have that I mean, many. He more may have had it in him, but Vince, Vince necessarily yeah. wouldn't have let him because I mean that's yeah. he was reaching or at the age where all of the other most wrestlers started years. retiring. Yeah. But then Austin, yeah. I mean, I guess he was so over it didn't, didn't matter. Let, he didn't want to let Savage have a match after he was forty. Yeah, because Austin gets hurt and then starts stomping mud holes in people that are fucking have a mile between them, but. It doesn't matter because he's love. Yeah. And Bret Hart was never quite loved that same way. How about most surprising? Rocky Johnson, Ken Shamrock. For me, I think it might have been that... Trying to get her name. It was nice for her to get a name. Uh, that like, I really didn't expect, expect Bret to come back out for the main event. And it's like, oh, in hindsight, yeah, I get what they're doing. But, like, I just didn't... I, was, I thought we were going to get a clean Sid and Taker match. I mean, it solidifies the heel turn. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It totally makes sense. But, like, I just... I've seen the Austin and Brett match before. But I've never seen any other match on this WrestleMania. So, that was surprising to me. Sean was at ringside and didn't really get involved? Yeah, Sean didn't yeah. do a thing on this show except for... Be Shawn Michaels yeah. a little bit, um, and is he hurt or just is he? I think he, he's still rehabbing his knee. Yeah, a little yeah. Bit. Which you know people have questioned the validity of it, but I'm not going to do that here. I think he actually his knee was hurt. I'm sure the it was. severity of it is the th- yeah. The thing. It's the, like so many people work hurt constantly. I mean, fucking Brian Danielson was working with fucking his face wrapped up like he was the Undertaker. Uh, in in ninety five or whatever the other day, so people work hard all the time. Is that what he had on that little black mask or whatever yeah, it was? Yeah, it was okay. Poked his eye or something. Yeah, he like fucked up his orbital, I think, recently. Oh shit! Yes, I only saw the end of that match. So I mean, he said he's only got three. He's only going to do three years, but I guess he's going to work hard through because <laughs> he's a Fabergé egg brother. And now for a look back even further into the history of wrestling. The Dusty Finish. After Ric Flair had won the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship from Barry Windham, WCW had withdrawn from the NWA, changing the belt's title to the WCW International World Heavyweight Championship. The Nature Boy's first challenger came in ravishing Rick Rude at Fall Brawl 1993 on September 19th. Rick Rude, born 1958 in St. Peter, Minnesota. 
where he attended high school with Tom Zink, Nikita Koloff, Kurt Henning, John Nord, and Barry Darsaw. Rick would begin training under Eddie Sharkey after college, making his debut in 1982 in Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, working his way through numerous territories such as Vancouver, Georgia, and Memphis. Rude would head to World Class Championship Wrestling in Dallas, Texas, where he would feud with Kevin Von Erich and Chris Adams, becoming the promotion's first world champion but would soon move on to a short stint in Jim Crockett Promotions before making his biggest splash in the WWF. Bobby Heenan would have his newest addition debut in 1987, feuding with Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff before moving on to Jake the Snake Roberts, where Rick Rude would use the likeness of Robert's wife on his tights to anger him. Rick would win the WWF Intercontinental Championship from the Ultimate Warrior, at WrestleMania 5, but would drop it back to him after Roddy Piper interfered in a match. By 1990, Rick Rude was in the main event versus his old nemesis, the Ultimate Warrior, but wouldn't win the heavyweight title. And after a disagreement with Vince McMahon, Rick would leave the WWF and make his way to WCW, where he would debut as the Phantom, leading the Dangerous Alliance and winning the United States Heavyweight Championship, feuding with Sting and Ricky Steamboat. Rick Rude was forced to forfeit the belt after a neck injury kept him out for several months, leading to him switching his goal to the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship. For his accomplishments, Rick is a WWE Hall of Famer. Rude would face many challengers, even taking the title across the ocean to face some of Japan's best. Man, Recruit taken from us too soon, from the ring. I mean, he lived much longer after he was unable to wrestle, but I, when I think of Recruit, I think of a lot of things. But I think of a match that I never shut up about. Recruit, Ricky Steamboat. Beach Blast Night, or was it Beach Blast or Bash, Bash of the Beach? Beach Blast. Beach Blast. Yeah, Beach Blast 92. Two, three, two. Three. I think it was nice two. Yeah, but yeah, Iron Man match, two out of three falls. My God, do I love it. Next week, Spring Stampede 1997. Ooh. And Spring Stampede, a show that I feel like kind of happens only some years. I think so. <laughs> yeah, it's like, ah, uh, I don't know, we'll talk about the... But I believe uh, when it does, it's in the spring. The so. offs and ons. I mean, it hasn't happened since 94. Okay, okay, yeah. yeah see, it's been okay. a bit. All right. Just, just say. Music from this week's show is WrestleMania, the instrumental. Love to hear it. By Mike Stock and Peter Waterman. And Undertaker won our main event. So we play Graveyard Symphony Version 2 by Jim Johnston. There's Jim. If you like this episode <laughs> or any of our other episodes, please go out there, rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcast at. Do as Michael says. Five stars or no stars. Do it for Brett. Do it for Austin. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns. What did you think of this show? What's your favorite match? Aside from the the favorite that we have. Is it a one-match show? Is it a two-match show? Are there more matches that we're just not seeing the potential of? Is it possible that Brett and Austin isn't your favorite match on this show? You weirdo. The views and opinions of... (laughs) I I said weirdo. I said weirdo. (laughs) 
but yeah, give us give us a give us your opinion. Talk to us. Talk to us on uh, the X or send us an email. Something. It's a uh, it's a brand new year. Let us know what you thought. Yeah, engagement keeps us. Moving. That's right. And you know, if if you have any ideas of things I should try in Mississippi or. Virginia, because I'm guessing we're going to be going there at yeah. some point. We're down yeah. in that area. Mississippi is Philly. every other year kind of thing, Shane. Yeah. Philly, it's it's almost time for us to go back to Philly. So yeah. give me some ideas. Let me know. I think I have maybe one more drink on the list of oh, yeah, drinks ECW. that were sent to us from ECW by uh, our good friend. We love you. We Send talk us about some you a lot. We make it. If you have any of those things, you can email us at WrestlingHistoryX at gmail.com or find us on X at WrestlingHistoX. That's Wrestling H-I-S-T-O-X. We'll talk to you next week.